they drop you off. And then, well, in the old days, they'd have no idea where I was. And so, and it was my family that was supporting me. So they'd be worried that I was dead. Welcome back to the Non-Standard 14-Year Podcast, the podcast that brings you everything the root description leaves out about hiking and climbing Colorado's 14ers. I'm Jacer Jack, and I'm joined here with the crew, and this is part two with Andrew Hamilton. Hope you all enjoy. So, Andrew, I want to be respectful of your time, but I'd be remiss if I didn't kind of revisit your 2015 record attempt and, and just ask about logistics, because you, I mean, that was a a 15 year standing record that you shaved a full day off of. And we're looking at a graph here that shows kind of uh, the, the, the ratios. Um, and you had 175 hours hiking and 62 hours transitioning, which blows others out of the water, but actually is, is more time hiking. So the, the record was kind of made in the transition time. So can you kind of speak to the logistics of that? Not to discredit the hiking. I mean, that's an incredible achievement in its own right but the transitions it seems like was really where that record was made so can you speak to that a little bit yeah yeah definitely and, and like i always tell people i mean i am definitely uh, relatively speaking a slow person for this stuff in fact have you heard of buzz burrell he's like yeah I, I don't know i mean buzz burrell he's like the uh i don't know if he still is but he was like the brand manager for ultimate direction packs and uh, he was a friend of mine, big, big runner. His son, Galen, won Pikes Peak Marathon. And, and uh, but anyway, Buzz, he's a great guy. And um, anyway, he met me coming down that last in, on longs when I finished the record in 99. And it was, I, I didn't know him at the time. I just, I was in this hailstorm and, you know, I got down to the keyhole and there's this guy there, you know, and he's like, oh, I'm Buzz, you know, and he, you know, he, he came down to meet me and, um, but he, he wrote, you know, in his story, which was actually, it was like, you know, it was a nice write-up he did. But, he, but his quote was, Hamilton is the least fit person I've ever known to try something like this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know usually these people are Oh, pretty, my gosh. Yeah, Great back right, right. compliment. I take that as a compliment. Yeah, for sure. You know, because for me, my thing is, is like, and it's kind of sad, but like, I, I'm just good at suffering. You know, it's like, you know, I'm, you know, I can go out there and uh, why did it? I don't even know where it started from, but like adventure racing, I guess, you know, but, but like, uh, you know, just being like learning, you know, I, I actually got my, my butt kicked in a couple of big adventure races. And what I learned from some of these people was that you can go without a lot of sleep, you know, and, and this is like, I mean, I blew one of these big, the primal quest for my team, because at the time I, I, I really mentally thought I needed more sleep. These guys were like, you know, oh, if you're tired, well, we can take a five minute shiver sleep is what they called it. And basically you just lay down, close your eyes until you're shivering so hard that you got to keep going. You know, and it's about five to 10 minutes, you know, and I didn't believe it at the time. And so I was like this walking zombie in that race and, and I was really blew it. And, and that was like one of the lows of my life. I, I went hypoglycemic in that race. And anyway, but I learned a lot. And then at some point, there's just this mental switch about, yeah, you don't need as much sleep. Like sleep is a little bit overrated for this stuff. And so like on the, the biking record, um, I did, I, I planned for four hours a night and that was perfect. You know, it was like, I, um, you know, I'd have a little bit of like a wind down ritual and, you know, then getting going in the morning. So maybe I was like, had a downtime of like five hours a day and I stuck to that plan, you know, and, and that worked really well. But so the point here is that you can go with less sleep. It's possible, right? If you can do it mentally, it's all mental, right? So, because I'm not a super fast runner. So yeah, when you look at those times, you know, my time of hiking was actually pretty close to Teddy. In fact, I think he was a little faster. Uh, if you look at the Rickies, I don't know if they're on that graph, but they were like almost a day faster than me in terms of their hiking time. Like, so those guys could move. You know, they could really their transitions were triple yours in in 97. Yeah, right. Ricky was a a day faster you hiking, but he was 184 hours transitioning and you were only 62 hours transitioning. Literally triple. Right. Yeah. And and like I said before, you know, about Teddy sort of changing the whole nature to them, they weren't worried about that. They were just they were more of like, let's get up that 14 or as fast as we can. They're running, you know, and then they're down. 
And then they would like spend 12, 15 hours before they'd go hiking again. Right. So they get a full recovery. They go have a big meal, you know? So for me, I kind of like, okay, the first time I did it in 99, I made huge logistical errors because I didn't even really like plan it. You know, I mean, I just sort of like looked at a map and like, oh, I'm going to start in the Crestones because I don't have a four wheel drive. And that way I can like, you know, hike, you know, get up the road. It'll be off the clock. That's what I was thinking, you know, and it seemed like it made a lot of sense. But but that was just so dumb just to start that way, just to start there cost you 24 hours right off the bat. Like if you if you look at what it does to you later, like having to hike into Chicago Basin and stuff like that, it's 24 hours because you didn't start in the right spot. Okay, so um, so anyway, Teddy had already laid the groundwork like you, you can't beat unless you're a faster hiker. You're not going to beat his San Juan's run. You're just not going to do it. You can't, in my opinion. I just don't think you can do it a better way than he did it. Like, let's see, what do you do? Unless I, I forget exactly what way he did. No, no, he did. He did uh, San Luis the same way from Creed side. Yeah. So it's like you do the Chicago basin, you know, basically in the morning, you know, you wake up, you hop on the train. You're out to Silverton by 11 o'clock. Then you get in a the car. They drive you over overpass and you're over at Kilpacker trailhead for the Wilsons. Although when Teddy did it, I think silver pick was still open. So that was an option. I think he did it from silver pick. That's no longer an option. It's closed. So now the better option is just go over to Kilpacker. And then basically you do the Wilsons and, uh, and El Diente. And you're now done with the Chicago basin group and the Wilsons. And it's just barely past dark. I mean, that's pretty spectacular right there, you know, and, and he was the one that came up with that. I know like the Rickies for me, it took me 24 hours just to get in and do the Chicago basin peaks, you know, deal with search and rescue, get caught in a blizzard. All that took me 24 hours, you know? And so, so, and the, and the way that the Rickies had done it is that they did Chicago basin and then they would go like knock off some easy ones, like, you know, like red cloud and sunshine or something like that. Right. Just, it wouldn't make any sense if you look at a map now, but, they didn't care. They would just do it really fast. And then they had 12 hours to drive around or whatever, do what they needed to. So I took basically Teddy's route. So, so, um, you know, great route through the San Juans. And then, you know, basically, I mean, you can't beat him again. He also had the perfect route through the song grace, which he started on Calabra and then, you know, little bear, uh, Blanca Ellingwood, Lindsay, and then the Crestone group. Although I will say that homie, you know, who, who, who was the, he's sort of the one that sparked interest in the record again, I think when he tried in 2012 and did really amazing. He's got, he had some plan where he would do the Sangres in a different order. I think he had some big idea because Brett, Brett was this other guy that tried to do the record and he was trying to do this, but it was like somehow they were going to get the Crestones and the Little Bear group like in the dark. So Crestones in the day, Little Bear group in the dark. And so basically wipe out the Sangres in like a day and a half. Ooh. So oh my gosh. I think that's possible. So, but I didn't try that. I'm still, for me, it was just two days, two days for the song grace. And then where do you go sorry? from Creston? You, you go Creston needle to, to peak and then go over to kick Carson challenger and then run over bears playground to Humboldt. How do you do that group? Oh, uh, you know, the way I've always done it. Um, and so it got harder. That's one of the, one of the places where it actually got harder for me versus when Teddy did it, you know, it, you know, usually things get easier because the trails get better over time, right? Your gear gets better. But in that case, you used to be able to drive to 11,000 feet, the upper trailhead on the South Colony Lakes Road. Yeah. And then from there, you know, you're exactly like exactly within a foot or two, 3,000 feet below Humboldt. So it's a great for the 3,000 foot rule. It's just perfect, you know. So anyway, then you can just do a nice loop there where you go do the way I used to do it because I liked to up climb the needle versus down climb the needle, you know, Um you like Crestone Needle, it has this like the hardest part is this like part right off the summit on your way to Crestone Peak. And so uh, anyway, you know, which direction you go makes the difficulty harder. And so uh, anyway, I always like to up climb that. The bad news being that it puts you there later in the day. So you might get stuck in a, in a thunderstorm up there, you know. So, you, you know, you got to play with all these things. But basically, you just do a loop. It's Humboldt. Go over this like time-consuming ridge gets you over um, basically to Columbia Point, which is a 13er. But you pretty much have to go over it, Kit Carson and Challenger, and then back over um, to this area called the Bears Playground, which is kind of this like plateau up there. And then you go up the northwest uh, couloir of uh, Crestone Peak, and then traverse over to Crestone Needle and down. So there's a nice loop there. It took me like 12 hours back in the day, but I think the record on it now is a standalone is something like seven hours, you know, so it, that can be done pretty fast. Wow. And uh, so, so yeah. So, so anyway, 
someone's going to come along that's really fast. They could probably get some time in there, you know, but I was never, I didn't want to mess with like, like, yeah, to me, it was like, you have to do the little bear Blanca Ridge, you know, like it just like style points. Right. And so if you were going to do them in the dark, you'd probably want to avoid that Ridge, you know, and maybe drop down. You could, what you could do is you could come over from Lindsay view Blanca Ellingwood, then drop down and come up like the Northwest face of little bear. But then you'd be missing out on like the little bear Blanca Ridge, which I'd really hate to do if I was doing the record, you know, but anyway, so one of the big, so, so with Teddy, the easy thing to do when someone else has done something ahead of you, right. Is you can just look at what they've done and then you can see, well, what really screwed them over. Right. Well, Teddy, one of the big things that screwed him over as I forget why, but it was always his plan to go get pikes. Like I forget, like in the night after the Crestones or something, or I forget what his plan was, but basically he couldn't get to it for whatever reason, traffic. I, I, I forget what it was. And so he left it and he's like, well, no big deal. We'll just get it at the end. We'll do pikes and then logs. Like once we've done everything else. Right. So, and then he talked about how he got caught in like traffic trying to get from like Colorado Springs up to Denver and then over to Boulder and then up to Longs. And so he lost several hours in there. So that, that was always one spot where there's, okay, well, there's a little time you could get on Teddy. And then the other thing, which, you know, I had thought of, cause you know, I did it back when I, when I biked between the 14 years, but the big spot that I got him, uh, you know, if you look at, you know, so Teddy, I took like almost a day off of his time. I took a day off of his time in the Elks. Basically it was all about the Elks. And the key thing was that back then, Nobody really even conceived of just doing the bells and linking that with the bell snowmass and capital in one group, right? And then castle by itself. And the reason that's so important, sorry, and also pyramid, I forgot about pyramid. So pyramid and the bells plus snowmass and capital in one big one, one day, because the way that it was done before is what you would do is you would like say drive out to marble and then oh. you would do snowmass and capital. Geneva Lake, that would right? be a day. Yeah, that would be a day. And then you would do another day would be like pyramid and the bells. And then maybe that night you go get cast on your way out of there. Right. So now if you can just do that in one day, those four and then go get castle. I mean, I took almost a day off him just right there. Wow. So really, if you look at our records, that was it. I mean, that was really all I did. You know, we had the pretty similar hiking times. You know, it really just came down to that. And he said, you know, when he came out and met us out there, he was like, he was like, yeah, that was one spot he just never even thought of, you know. Hmm. So you do pyramid, run over and do South Maroon, traverse to North Maroon. And then you drop down to Buckskin Pass and go over to get snow mass off North Maroon. Is that? Let's see. Uh, let's see. What, what, a Buckskin Pass. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. No. So close, though. Close, though. So um, from, from Pyramid. And again, there's options with everything. Like it's never simple, right? That, that's why I could talk. I mean, I could talk to you guys. You could have a million podcasts. I'd never stop talking. All right. But uh, like basically, I mean, just a pyramid. It's like, well, how do you get over to the bells, right? Well, you can take the standard route. You can take the West Ridge route. You can drop down the West Gully. The nice thing about dropping off the West side of pyramid, even though it's a little more like tech, you know, loose and, you know, not as commonly done, is that it like just bam, you go down. And now you're at the bells versus dropping down. And now you got like a mile you know, to hike up the trail. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and then how do you want to do the bells? Right. Cause like, I hate the South Maroon trail. Like that thing is so long, right. You go all the way up there. Then you spend, even though it's not like the Maroon bells traverse the South Ridge to get the South Maroon, you know, like, so say you do pyramid, you drop down, say you go up South Maroon first and then you're um, you traverse up that Ridge. It just takes a long time. And then you got to do the traverse to get over to North Maroon, right? Or you could drop down and go up North Maroon, Maroon first and then do the Bell's Traverse twice. So you could leave your mm -hmm. pack on North Maroon and you could do the traverse twice. That traverse does not take me that long. I really love that traverse. It's mostly solid rock. So that is a, an option I've actually done on one of my failed, like other things I've done. You know, you know that was how we were going to handle the Bell's. It's just, you know, drop our packs and do the traverse twice. And then, or, you know, you can hike one time when I did go up the South Ridgeway, I got up there and I just, there was some guy with jeans on. He got up there. He would just walk right up the Belcourt Kuwar. And he was like, oh yeah, that was so easy. I just walked right up the Belcourt Kuwar. So I've tried that as well. And that actually isn't a bad option either. If the snow is not super hard, you know, cause then you can just like step right up the snow 
you know, and, and I'll usually have my ice axe, you know, um, but, uh, but so that's an option. So there's so many options in there, right? And it just depends on what mood I'm in or, you know, <laughs> or how hard is the snow, you know, like what, 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 what of those are we going to do? Right. And then, but so from North Maroon, again, you know, now, now what are you going to do? How are you going to get over to Snowmass? Well, there's options, right? You know, you can like follow the Northwest route off of, uh, you know, North Maroon and you can follow that all the way to a little, um, cool called the Gunsight cool which is, it's aptly named because it looks just like a gun sight, right? It's this big, obvious notch, all right? And so anyway, you can drop into that notch and you can go down there. Or, you know, the very first time I did it is I was dropping down. I was just looking down and I was like, oh, it just looks like ledges. And so I ended up just dropping straight off the west side of uh, North Maroon. And it really wasn't that bad, it, it, you know, although in recent years, I've never seen that route that looks so easy. So usually... I think more recently, I usually do go right up that gunsight core. Oh, I see you've got the book out. Do you see it? Just follow, follow North Maroon, follow is the it, Northwest Ridge. Is, is that Frobert Basin? Then you drop them back into like part of the four pass loop in a Frobert Basin there to the. Yeah. Yeah. It's just of... totally deserted basin. It's unbelievable. It's like one of the most remote places. You never see anybody up there. Hmm. Um, and then basically once you drop into that basin, you just aim towards snow mass and eventually you do pass this trail that goes up over trail rider pass right and from Stillmass lake and uh and so when i'm when i'm aiming from um north maroon to Snowmass, you have to sort of cut around there's a little peak called Snowmass peak you cut around to the north side of it and then you basically get right into the bowl underneath Snowmass. or for the centennial record i actually go to the trail rider pass drop down to the left side and then i can go up hagerman and get hagerman before i go over to Snowmass. Hagerman, right. Andrew, do you like puzzles? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> I, was just gonna I don't do puzzles too like often. Puzzle. There's I, so is. many different I mean, things. It really is. I mean, you really, you really nailed it. And you know, one of the things I've noticed too, is a lot of times the people that I meet in the mountains are kind of like me. They have like an engineering background and mm -hmm. I do, I think it's like just problem solving and like having these checklists, homie, you know, the guy who I mentioned, you know, got me all excited about the 14 year record again. He has the craziest lists of things that he's working on. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Boulder, but there's a mountain outside of it called Green Mountain. It's right there. You got Green Mountain. You know, it's got some of the flat irons are on it and stuff. But uh, I, I would just, it's a great training mountain. You know, you go around, it's like 2,500 foot gain. And I was running up there and I ran into Homie. And well, what's Homie doing? Well, he's working on doing it every calendar day of the year, not in one year, but over multiple years. And I'm just like, good grief, you know, so that means he's, you know, every time he does it, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, I got a January 22nd. I haven't done Green Mountain, so I'll go up there today and I'll check that off my list. Jeez. And then, you know, so and then for that deal, you know, leap day becomes a big deal, right? Because you got to get your leap day, you know, <laughs> once every four years. So, you know, so you he has puzzles. all these, oh, puzzles. yeah, all these crazy lists. And, and it is like a puzzle. Like you mentioned, like you wouldn't believe like every single one of these peaks there's options. Right. And it's like, totally. well, which one are you going to do? Like, what's the weather like, you know? And, uh, you know, and there's so many different options. Although I will say with the 14 er record, I do feel like, and like with Nolan's Nolan's used to be the part of the fun used to be going out there, trying to figure out the best routes anymore. Usually people just call you up and Hey, will you send me your GPX file of when you did Holy Nolan's? And you're like, well, you know, yeah, sure. You know, you know, you'll show them your track or something, but, but really they're missing out because they're missing out on all the exploring you do to find, because, you know, even if one route really works best for somebody, it may not work best for you. I love you know? that. Yeah. And I, and I still have exploring, like there was a guy last year. So after Joey did it in 41 hours, there was this guy who was like the boyfriend of the girl who then did it in like 46 hours or something. But uh, I forget what his name was, but I was watching his time. He got from Yale down to the trail. So 3,000 feet in 30 minutes through that dense oh forest of a billion logs you got to hop over. Ooh. So obviously there's <laughs> some way through there. I got to find just it. Like I, mean, I got to go find that. Just letting gravity oh. take him. <laughs> right. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea, but I, I have a hard time beating two hours on that descent. It's just, you know, usually it's in the dark. And uh, every way I tried, it's always ended up taking two hours. You know, it's wow. depressing. <laughs> like you said, each person may have a different adventure and that may be different than yours. So 
I have a, I have a random question, but it's one that we try and ask all of our guests. So records aside, you're just a, you're just a guy out. How can hiking in the mountains? You may take your family out. What's your all-time favorite peak? Boy, it'd be hard. You know, it's hard to pick an all-time favorite peak. Let, let me think for a sec. Cause um, you know, I've done them all so many times and in so many conditions. <laughs> no, no, Andrea asked me, well, you know, a lot of people when they started hiking, you know, it was more recent, right? And they kept track of every single peak. And so like on the 14ers.com, you can like, you know, you have your little list of all the peaks you've done, right? Yeah. And, and so you have the total number of peaks you've climbed. And, uh, you know, I'm just so sad because like I climbed so many where I never could didn't take a picture i was maybe just training so there's no record but andrea wanted me to okay well add up all your records add up all your nolans all the ones you know you did with the kids and you did your first round and so you know i'm up to like 750 of like ones where i can definitely remember having climbed a mountain and um you know <laughs> on just the 14ers right and wow. so that's the new goal is like well let's try to get it to a thousand or something right and um but like and then i've done them in so many conditions and a lot of times it's like you know, you've heard the term type two fun where something's not fun at the time, oh, yeah. but like when you reflect on it later, you're like, it was a great time. Right. Well, so many of these were like, um, you know, just crazy. I mean, you know, just, you know, blizzards and just like just really tough times when you, you barely get out of there. I just, how could I ever pick out? I mean, well, I can just, I can go on for hours telling you guys stories of how, I mean, I've literally been lost or in some horrible storm on every single fourteen. <laughs> like, I'm talking red cloud and sunshine. I've been lost, you know, like uh, literally because it was, you know, it, like it's sad, right? Where I needed the stars when the clouds opened up to figure out what direction it was to figure out that I was not actually going to sunshine. I was going down like some face off of red cloud, you know, in some snowstorm. But like every single one. So for me, it's really hard to pick out like one peak, you know, and I've just had so many of these experiences where they're just amazing experiences, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah. And, but in general, I do like the class four ones the best, you know, I do. I really like gravitate towards the bells and like, I do like, I do like, I can't help it. I like little bear. I don't know what it is. <laughs> um, I like, you know, the West Ridge route on Little Bear is beautiful. And then I just love that, the Little Bear Blanca Ridge. I mean, that just blows, as far as 14er routes goes, like standard routes and stuff, you know, and the traverses, that ridge, if you've ever done it, it blows them all away, you know, just because it's so incredibly exposed, you know, and, and, and I do, I do, you know, like I said, I love the Maroon Bells Traverse too, but that one, it's like, it's just incredible, these incredible knife edge ridges, you know, where it's like 2000 feet down on both sides and you're on this little narrow, you know, thing. It's, it's pretty terrifying, but you know, it's terrifying at the time, but then later it's like, you know, those are the, those are the great ones. Mm. So, you know, in general, I would just say those are my favorites. Just like look at any of the ones that are class fours or consider the harder ones. And I like them, you know, I like Eolus, you know, I like sunlight. I, yeah. So to pick my favorite, that would really be difficult. Mm so sorry understandably after so many summits <laughs> oh yeah right can you, right can you talk about your logistical team how many people were on your team when you broke the 14er record yeah well, you what know, was that team pretty, look like and how many rvs yeah and oh well stations so, and it's, and it's pretty backpack. sad that we've been talking about records for this long and i haven't even mentioned that because that is a huge part of it of the success is your crew you know a huge part of it in fact I remember I gave a talk once at Neptune Mountaineering after the record, you know, just sort of one of those like recap sort of things. And I drew like some bubbles and it was like um, on, and these were, you know, the things that, that matter. And it was sort of like, you got your physical fitness, you got mental, you got logistics and then luck. Right. And they're all kind of equally important. Um, you know, so you might be someone that's really fast, but if you suffer in one of those other ones, you know, that's going to screw you up. Right. So it's, it's this balancing act of all these different factors. And it's funny because for winter, I made the luck bubble really big. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, weather, snow conditions, all this stuff. Right. Um, but uh, but so the crew is such an important part. And so as an example, let me I, I give you homie, you know, and hearing homie story. So when homie went out to do it, 
he had this guy bill wright bill wright is like a legend in boulder he's like started the the, the minions i oh i forget all these names i'm so bad but it's like these guys are like the best scramblers and they're always like they have these amazing times up all the flat irons and stuff like that or satan's minions that's what they're called so, sorry bill yeah but uh but yeah so bill wright so basically so homie goes out and does it you know he's got the plan this guy knows the 14ers like like nobody else he's like the furthest along i think as far as gritting them out which means climbing each 14er in every month of the year right he's like so far ahead of everybody else it's like not even close except for this one old guy who's who, who's kind of done um but uh so homie he knows the 14ers well right but so basically the first couple of days he had bill wright and so bill wright had this blog and this kind of what i was reading that got me excited and um but the problem is you have one person and it doesn't seem like that much work, right? You, you drive someone to a spot and then they're going to be gone potentially for like eight to 12 hours. You know, it doesn't sound like, and then all your only job is to drive from where you drop them off over to the other side. It doesn't sound that hard. So someone who maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with this is like, oh yeah, I'm going to get my girlfriend or my, my buddy to come. And then after a couple days because you know it's hard to find people that can take a couple weeks off of work you know you know then they'll switch off with someone else so homie switched off from bill wright you know and then and then over and actually jerry roach and his wife then took over for him you know and uh and so but th the problem is is support is so much harder than anyone really realizes you know it's like you know, they drop you off and then, well, in the old days, they'd have no idea where I was. And so, and it was my family that was supporting me. So they'd be worried that I was dead. You know, I, I didn't show up in the nights, you know, and so, the, you know, there was some snowstorm and I didn't show up, you know, so they're really scared. And so they can't sleep, you know, so, so they're up, they can't sleep all night. They're worried about you. And then you show up and now all of a sudden they got to, you know, they got to take care of you because you've got blisters all over and you're totally non-functional. They got to stuff as much food in you um, <laughs> as they can, because that's key. You know, you got to eat, but you don't want to eat. So you're like, I don't want any food. So they got to try to force you to eat, you know, and my sister used to make me these things where she'd like melt an entire stick of butter in with the food and then oh. force feed and stuff into me, you know. And uh, and so then and now they've been waiting around and now they might have some long drive they got to do. Right. And, and so now they're getting really tired and then it's so super stressful and, you know, there might be flat tires they're dealing with, you know, we've had flat tires in the cars and stuff like that. So what I've learned is not to under, under like estimate the, like the difficulty it is for the crew. Like, it, Oh, I still remember in the biking one, my sister and I, you know, we, we have a great relationship, but like, you know, she was getting so stressed out that she's, you know, she got really mad at me. We got in these loud screaming fights and she punched me. I mean, it was, it was, <laughs> it gets stressful. It gets really stressful. Right. So some of the lessons I've learned are never just have one person there. It's just too much for one person, you know? So, and, and then the other thing too, is like the logistics of like 14 year roads and stuff like that, you know? So yeah, you may have an RV, but that ain't going to make it over at some of these 14er roads, right? Oh. So someone might have to drive this car like from uh, like say Silverton all the way up and around to get over to Lake City while you're going to be in the four wheel drive getting a shortcut over Cinnamon Pass, right? So there's all these and then they got to know where they're going to meet and everyone can't get lost. And so there's a lot that goes into it. But but for the support crew psyche, I think it's important to have multiple people at all times. Um, I did have an RV on in 2015. I probably won't have that again this year. Just my van. I've got like an old Euro van. Um, the RV was great for the crew. You know, there was a lot of crew because like it was like my family was there for part of the time. And then people that knew of me would just like they hear about it and then they show up and they want to help out. You know, so we had sometimes I'm probably a minimum of four people at all times, you know, and then sometimes as many as nine people were there. So the the um, the support crew was really more for them. Uh, sorry, the um, sorry, not the sport crew. The uh, the RV was really more for them. Although I did take use of it a couple times, you know. But then, yeah. But then there's like, uh, uh, it's good to have a good um four wheel drive vehicle, uh, you know, with someone that can drive that. I tried in 2014. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna do. I'm gonna take a dirt bike on all these things. I'm gonna kick some butt, right? So I bought myself a dirt bike, and I actually there was this guy who took me to this motocross track, taught me how to dirt bike, you know. But the thing is, those motocross <laughs> tracks and stuff, they're made out of dirt, right? The 14er roads, a lot of them are made out of boulders, right? And so, like, 
I was just getting my ass kicked. Now, when it's a great road, you can go so fast. It's like you can leave a Jeep like they're standing still, you know, like over like overpass when I was heading from the train area, you know, over to get to Killpacker. Man, just like you go by a Jeep like they're standing still. And sometimes in summer, there's this, like these groups of these really slow driving, you know, like, you know, Jeeps and they just going so slow and they nobody will pull over for you. And that can be stressful if you're just in a car, but in a motorcycle, it's like, you're just gone. Right. <laughs> but there were spots where like, I, I couldn't make it. Like I got stuck in this river crossing. And then I like, I, I had to gun the bike so hard. I crashed against the other side of the river and I broke the brake pedal. And then finally, what did me in that year was trying to get up the Lake Como road. Like wow, that road brutal. was just so I crashed like five times. Oh no! And then, the car that was coming to pick up the bike, it caught up to me and I'm pouring in sweat, you know, it was hot. And I just sort of threw the bike down in disgust and just got in the car, <laughs> you know, and it was so, and, and so what I kind of learned from 2014 to 2015 was, man, you can make up a lot of time, but you should probably be a good dirt biker if you're going to do that. <laughs> but it's also nice just to sit and rest while someone else does the driving because you got to rest sometime. You know, sometimes people always ask, hey, what if you had a, a, a helicopter? You know, that could really speed things up. And I'm like, well, I got to sleep sometime. And yeah, that's yeah. in the car. So if you have a helicopter, then you're really never going to sleep, you know. So I don't, I don't even know if that would really help that much. Um, wow. You know, but uh, so logistics is important. And there's so much, you know, it's, it's the food. It's all the gear. You know, they got to make sure that you don't forget to take the tracker, you know, and stuff like that. You know, this little things, you know, and then. I mean, there's just so much that they do. So it's, it's an incredibly like complex part of the whole equation and, and like, and then just knowing where to go and not making a mistake. Like what if they show up and, Oh, and I don't know if you guys know, but like in 2015, you know, I got off of Lindsay in this rainstorm and the, 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 the car wasn't there, you know? And I was a little annoyed because when you're going for me, all I'm really ever thinking about there is my time. So it's like, okay, I, I was supposed to be there at this time and I'm 10 minutes ahead of schedule. It's like, yes, you know, I've made up 10 minutes on the schedule. That's great. And then you get there and there's no car. Usually they're there. And uh, well, I didn't know, but the rain had been so bad down there that there was all these mudslides coming. And so when they drove us out of there, we actually got blocked by these mudslides that had occurred. And behind us, there had been a landslide where the whole mountain gave away. And like, literally, we missed it by minutes. Wow. And that it closed Lindsay off for a couple of years. The trailhead was closed. We had to hike in seven miles. We were there that day. I mean, wow. that could have, you know, really messed up the logistics. But fortunately, we had enough vehicles that the two vehicles that were stuck up there behind all the washouts, we were able to get out and run down the road and get to actually the RV came in handy there. And then I got in the RV and then that took us, you know, to the next peak. While meanwhile, half the crew was stuck behind with the cars, you know, that were stuck behind the landslides. You know, wow, so, that's you know, incredible. So, so, so anyway, but I'm glad you did bring that up because it's, it's in a really important part. And like, that's a big thing I'm facing for the centennial record is it's even longer. It's like 20 days. And so trying to find people that can help that will know what to do. It's like, it's a challenge, you know, for sure. And it's stressing Andrea out big time definitely stressing wow. her out yeah that's huge how long did it take you to do that record okay well so, so shoot i i actually don't know the exact time um, <laughs> we have to have it written down under 10 days nine days and it was close so <laughs> all right so and and the thing about the time for me personally I always liked to have some milestone to break. So the first time I did it, I was like, I want to climb the 14ers in under 14 days. That was it. And then oh, the wow. next time it was like, I wanted to break 10 days. And, uh, and so it was really exciting for me because in 2014, I just didn't see how you could break 10 days. And so my plan was over 10 days. And, but the experience I gained from failing that year, I, I learned enough. I was able to like, you know, I almost finished. I got like all but 10 done. And so I basically did all the hard ones. I got through most of it. I was able to like figure out, oh, it's like, oh, well, this is possible here. This is possible here. And so I was like, wow, it is possible to break 10 days. So that's what I was going for. That's amazing. And it's like your failures allowed you to squeeze out that information that you needed. You know, the, and that's, you know, that's another life like lesson from this stuff is that, uh, you know, you can learn a lot from failing. You learn more from failing probably than from succeeding. 
as long as you use what you learn from failing and, and then go on to succeed, I would probably say, right? I mean, if you just quit and never try again because you failed, that's no good, right? But if you learn yeah. lessons from failing, like you'll probably come back stronger than you ever would have been if you had just gone out and succeeded, you know, the first time. Can I ask you about the, the mental aspect? Or like you said, you're really good at suffering. Did you, do you qualify yourself as an ultra runner or just an ultra sufferer? <laughs> and how, no, do you, I, how do you I suffer wish better? I could run. Yeah, I wish I could run. Oh, I'm so jealous of the, the people that can run. Like watching Joey and like, like this last year, there were some amazingly fast people. And in the old days, I could just watch. And, you know, it would be so obvious if someone was going to fail because they were running down too hard. You know, like it's like you're going to destroy your body. I mean, you know, if you're running that fast down the peak, like, sorry, but now people can do it, you know, and I'm so jealous. You can run down a peak in a half an hour. That just blows my mind. Like, you know, I'm still talking about that one guy. You know, and then and then go up Columbia and still be as fast as me when I'm cranking, like on my uphill speed. You know, that's where I'm strong is like uphill. So not when you're running. Like what happens sometimes when you get in good shape is your body just turns it like for me, it would just turn into this uphill machine. And I can just go uphill big steps. I have my hiking poles and just moving up. But ever since I was 24 doing the record for the first time my knees would just kill me on the way down, you know? So I'd, I'd be like limping down. Like sometimes I'd have to walk down backwards because my knees were hurting so bad. So you'd, I'd hold my poles in front of me for balance and I'd look behind me and just walk down backwards. Oh. And so my times going up and down would be the same. It was really oh. bizarre, you know? And uh, so I've never been a great runner. I, I don't think I have the build for it. I, right now I weigh about 175, you know, 180. You know, usually these ultra runner guys, they're, you know, you, you're probably looking at like, you know, 140, 150, you know, and, and so it's just, it's just math, you know, the heavier you are, it's just a lot harder on your body, you know, so you want to be a smaller, you know, build to be a, a I think a sol- really good, it's not to say you can't be a great, you know, um, ultra runner, but like, so yeah, but I do like to run. I mean, I'll run like, you know, seven to nine miles, you know, every day if I'm, you know, when I'm training and stuff like that. Um, but, but like ultra running, man, it just beats me up too much. So, but, but I think what I show, and, and I don't know, I may be a dying breed because I can, I consider myself, you know, it was for a while on the Nolan thing. It seemed like it was the battle between the ultra runners and the mountaineers, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it was like, I feel like, you know, the ultra runners over time, we'll see what happens is the course got figured out for them by the mountaineers. Right. Mm-hmm. And once the course got figured out, well, then they can come in and shine. You know, they can figure out how to run it, right? But it took people, it took years of people fleshing out the routes, you know, and then they go on, they can have their GPX files and they can follow the route and, and they can run it now and do it really fast, you know. But I still consider myself sort of like the, the slower guy that went out and suffered and took all the wrong routes, you know, and then and, and, and worked through it. And, but, but I sort of show that you can still go fast even if you're not a great runner. You know, and so the way I do it, when I do it, you know, I go pretty fast, you know, but, but not, I'm still 12 hours slower than the fastest time now, but, um, but just, you know, if you, you can do it by not stopping, you know, you just, you don't stop. You can, you can just hike fast on the uphill. Don't beat yourself up too bad on the downhill and then just don't stop, you know, and it does suck when you're on night two and you're hallucinating. I mean, we haven't even talked about all the things I've hallucinated before, you know, because <laughs> you're so tired. We had uh, we had another Nolan's person on the podcast, uh, youth pastor down in Colorado Springs. And he said toward the second night, he thought he was in the willows and he was way above tree line. He was just so sleep deprived and crazy that you just. And so did you, what, what, what was your experience or how do you push through that? I guess I'm asking more of the mental aspect. What can our listeners learn from your like mental fortitude? Well, first of all, you know, one of the best things I can offer you is very toxic probably five hour energy man that stuff didn't exist back in the day and man that stuff sometimes it's like magic and it just snaps me right back to life when i'm hurting in the night sometimes you get a dud and i don't know if it's a dud because it's a dud or because i'm just so tired it just doesn't work but like sometimes you know i've taken them and it just man it puts you in a good mood makes me happy you know so so that's obviously a big part of it is you're so tired right and, and, uh, you know, so how a lot of it's just mental and it, it's like I said, you know, I had learned from my adventure racing failures that like, 
it took me some time to learn that it is possible to go with very little sleep, you know? And so, you know, you're going, cause if you really think that you need to stop and sleep for an hour and you really believe that if you're probably going to need to stop and sleep for an hour, you know, uh, you know, or you're screwed, you really have to like have gone out there and suffered and practiced in some night adventures, you know, go out there. Like, so if you're training for Nolan's, don't just go train in the day, go train through a night, you know, and start with one night, start with one night and try to make it through. How did that night go? Well, because I'll tell you what, that's nothing. You know, it really begins on night two. That's when the real pain begins. And for me, you know, in, in the hallucinating, but, but you got to get through the one night first, right? So if you can, you know, start, so I would say, you know what, go hike a section of, of the trail, but instead of hike starting in the morning, start at like four in the afternoon, hike through the night and then finish in the morning. And that way you've made a night. Now, now you're good at going through the night. You get good with your, your headlamp on. And then what you can do is, is take that and then eventually try to push that into your second night and just see how you handle the second night. Cause man, it just, for me, you know, it's not even so much like, it's not like you're hallucinating. Like for me, it's more like, um, like, like your brain has these like pattern recognition stuff with it. And like in the past, like I'm not a big druggy guy or anything, but I will admit I have smoked a little weed in my, in my day. And back at, you know, when I would smoke a little weed and I never liked getting high. Like one time I, t- I took a big hit and I got so high. I was just like, I felt car sick for a week and I never <laughs> smoked again. That was back in college. So I never smoked again. But like, but, uh, but uh, so when I would, when I would smoke though, I would, my brain would go into this mode where I would see patterns in everything. Like I could blink and I'd see some image in like the carpet, you know, I blink again and see some other amazing image. And that's kind of like the same state my brain gets into. Like everything just looks like something else. Like I've looked down at a rock and I've like seen my son Axel is like the Arcteryx logo, you know, this flattened fossil <laughs> with like his head sticking out and his leg. And, and another time I, I thought, you know, you know, I, I was like day t- night two was finishing and I'm coming down La Plata. Right. So I still got to get up and over massive in Albert and even though no one was going to come and meet me, I was unsupported, but in my head, I was like, Oh, maybe, you know, Andrea is going to come and meet me, you know? And so then I, I, I saw her like stretching, like she was ready, you know, to meet me and she was stretching and I get closer and I look at it and it's literally a pine needle in the tree like that, you know, this little pine needle just fluttering in the wind. And my brain turned that into someone wearing a turquoise, you know, shirt. Yeah. It turned her, you know, like they're doing like a yoga pose waiting for me. And so your brain is just in this weird state. You know, I remember hiking by Echo Canyon Trailhead and it seemed to me like there were several tents set up with all these military guys standing at ease. And I was like, oh, these guys are here to see me come by. Like what? Your brain is just so messed up. You know, it's like a couple of rocks, you know, (laughs) rocks, right? So it's like, you know, and that part's kind of cool in hindsight, right? You know, what's your brain doing? So for me, it's not really like hallucinating. But it's like, you know, I'm just seeing all these weird things, you know, and, wow. and stuff like that. But what so, I'm hearing is that we should practice suffering. Yes. Yeah, I would. I think so. <laughs> you know, and it's too bad that adventure racing is not really around because it's really the perfect place to learn how to suffer through a night. You know, because you're the thing is, the thing that makes it hard, like, like, uh, you know, just if you're going through the night, it, you know, well, like, say you're just sitting at your desk and you're trying to stay up. That can be really hard, right? Because you're not active. But it's also really hard if you're going as hard as you can, right? If you're going as hard as you can, like you would be in Nolan's, you just get so tired versus if you were just taking it kind of easy through the night, you know, maybe that wouldn't be as hard. So it's good to go practice what you're going to be doing, you know? So if you're, you know, and, and it would be good to go practice, you know, hopefully if you're training for Nolan's, you have a pretty good idea of where you're going to be in the day and in the night. And so go practice those night sections just by themselves in the dark. You know, because, you know, there's really no excuse to be making nav errors on Nolans anymore because we all have GPSs, you know, but it still happens. And, you know, and it's probably going to be in the dark or if a storm comes in and you can't see. So it's good to just practice all these sections in the dark. I have a hard time with, uh, you know, like Albert in the dark, you know, on that second night. In fact, if you ever do Albert on night two, let me know if you see the peeing man shadow. I swear there's a, a shadow. It looks just like a guy peeing. And it's just 
the shadow of some rock and i see it multiple times now i know exactly where to find it but you know <laughs> but you don't see it unless you're really tired you know that's funny you mentioned that about the adventure racing being kind of a dying thing because that was honestly that was my childhood i was raised by an adventure racer my my dad did a bunch of local ones and then he did the eco challenge in 2001 in new zealand and as a 10 year old kid i got to go fly down and watch him cross the finish line and um, that was my introduction to the to the world of outdoor sports was as an eight-year-old like being hustled up beer stat and, and they called it the eco shuffle like it wasn't a run but it wasn't a walk it was kind of a like the, the eco shuffle and so that's um that's where I learned to suffer at a young age so and, and now that I'm of age and I could do it now it's kind of a dying thing and it's kind of sad to see but I I resonate with that when you said that that's pretty cool oh, yeah yeah well that's pretty cool that your dad got to do that race I think yeah. uh you know, the first Eco Challenge was like in Moab in Utah, and it was covered by MTV. And their coverage was cool because it was super upbeat. Like after that year, Discovery Channel took it over and they the narrator was like Liam Neeson. And he was like, you know, and the, the intrepid explorers <laughs> go through the thorns that rip flesh from bones. You know, they always made it so dramatic. I will find you. But that first MTV it was super upbeat, you know, they'd show these teams and the guys would be all gung-ho, like, hey, let's do 30 push-ups. And so they do 30 push-ups and, you know, they had the good music going with it and stuff. And so that was my friends and I saw and got us excited about, about like adventure racing. And so that was oh, kind cool. of like my, my introduction to it. Do you think well. that'll ever you know, come back? Like, I, I think it's kind of shifted form and now you see all the ultra runners now, it's kind of that same breed, but I'd love to see adventure racing come back. Do you see that on the horizon at all? I, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, they, they, they did do the Fiji Eco Challenge again, right? Yeah, it's well, on, that was on Amazon, TV. yeah. Yeah, so you can watch that. And it was so funny because here it is like 20 years later and it's all the same people. They're yeah. just older, but it's even the same teams winning. It was unbelievable. I recognize a lot of these people, you know. And, it's uh, fun to watch it with my dad because he like, he's like all nostalgic. He's like, these are all my buddies from the 2001. Like I raced against these guys and now they're all like white haired, you know old dudes but it was uh it's incredible well and we it's, still we still run in our neighborhood mark macy lives where we live he runs past our and house so almost we every see day mark macy all the time we see him on all of our local oh, wow. trails. yeah yeah it's cool so oh it, cool it is yeah cool. That's awesome. so do you yeah, do uh, any meditation or yoga or mental just your mental aspect just comes from suffering just basically suffer and get well, better at suffering. I, I mean i do like you know, we have done a little bit of meditation recently. You know, I, I love, I do love that, but like the suffering, a uh, man, I, I don't know. I mean, I think, why did I start that? Oh, you know what? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe like looking back, you know, I remember I did uh, uh, a 24 hour mountain bike with race with my friends called the 24 hours of Moab. That was like one of my first races. Right. And usually you do those races as a, well, you did at the time as a relay team. Okay. But then I was just like, I don't know. It was like, I just wanted to do it on my own, do it solo. And you know what happened that next year? So I did it as a solo person, um, which was a category they had recently opened up because there was this guy, John Stamstead. He was like a pioneer of sort of like the solo category. And when they wouldn't let him enter as a solo, meaning you do the whole 24 hours the whole time versus uh, is like a relay team. He entered like four different versions of his own name on one team, you know? And so anyway, they just let him do it. And so he start, sort of started. So it was kind of new at the time. And I remember <laughs> I wasn't the fastest biker, kind of like my hiking and stuff. I'm not like the fastest hiker, not great runner, but I'm, I mean, I'm still relatively fast compared to most people, but compared to another runner, they'd probably think I was slow. Same thing with the biking kind of middle of the pack guy, but something happened in the middle of the night, everybody quit. You know, everybody that was ahead of me quit and I in, in the morning sunrise comes and I'm like in second place, you know, Whoa. and so it, it just and, and it was hard. Right. And so it was just something, I guess, from that experience, uh, maybe I just realized maybe this is just what I'm I'm, be I'm good at. You know, this is something that's more natural for me It's just you, you just keep going. Hmm. And, and back then, oh, if only if only I had had five hour energies, I might have actually won one of those races. <laughs> I'd always have that disastrous laugh where it would take me like, you know, several extra hours because I couldn't stay awake. But um, but still, most people would just pack it up. And wow. uh, and That's, so I think that for me, that was like this, you know, you realize, OK, you can suffer. And if you just you know, it's the tortoise in the hair. If you just keep moving, 
you'll do well. You know, you may not win, but you'll do well if you just keep moving. And, you know, that's another thing, too. Your pace in Nolan's, you wouldn't believe how slow you can go and still get 60 hours. It's so slow. It's unbelievably slow if you just don't stop. You know, if you stop, you know, then all bets are off. But you can be going so unbelievably slow and finishing under 60 hours. It will just blow your mind that, you know, that that's this big goal, you know, it's like 60 hours. You know, when I mean, now look at it, 41 hours. I mean, so this guy's doing it 20 hours faster. It just sort of shows you, you know, you don't have to be going that fast to get through. You just can't make mistakes and just keep moving. You know, Wow. I want to be respectful of your time. I I can't thank you enough for all the time you spent with us. I do want to ask you one question. It's one that we stole from one of our favorite podcasters, Tim Ferriss. The, the billboard question. So if you were to, to put a billboard at the base of I-70 and put a message out there for all of the 14er climbers, um, both, both expert and beginner that are driving up I-70 to the mountains, what message would you want to put out there? This is probably going to be pretty anticlimactic for you, you know, but lately it really drives me crazy. Just pack out your toilet paper. Like, <laughs> oh, that's the best great. one yet. I love that. All those records. Like, I want to, I mean, I seriously like need to for like this centennial thing. I mean, I don't know how it's going to go. Honestly, it's like, it's a big deal, but like, if I could like team up with someone to get the message out there, like I am, I'm kind of disgusted at how trashed some people like leave the mountains and it, it does, you know, I used to sort of be like the guy that was like, I want to inspire people to get out and enjoy the mountains. Now I'm like, go home, everybody. You know, it's like, it's just too many people. And you know, I'm out there in the mountains. You can, you can still do beer stat and not see anybody. You know, you, if you start beer stat like five in the afternoon, like it can be beautiful up there. And, and you, you might see one other person that's like coming down slow, but you know, so you can still go up into the mountains, but the way that people disrespect them with the trash and like, I swear I wanted, you know, it, the billboard would be like save toilet paper, man. Because it was like, seriously, someone found a little man made out of toilet paper and murdered him and pulled him all apart and left his body all over the forest. I mean, I've seen that in Nolan's, you know, and like, I'm like, what did you do to toilet paper, man? You know, (laughs) so just get people to like clean up after themselves. Um, uh, I mean, that would be amazing. Yeah. So and and it was bad this year. I I hope I don't know. I, I have like. I'm just afraid that it's not going to, it's going to be like this forever now where there's more people, a lot of people yeah. from other States that really, I think, I, 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 I don't know why I, I hope it's not Coloradans so much. I hope it's people that just don't know any better, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, 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 I, I don't know what the future is for our poor mountains, you know, they're just mm-hmm. getting abused. And uh, so anyway, well, that's, that's a great so message. Good. That's, I think, my favorite one yet. That's awesome. I guess I have one more question. Sorry. When did Bad Dad become your trail name? <laughs> oh, you know, I think that was, um, I think the person who, who named me that was Mandy Miller. So she, I met her for the first time in 2014 when I finished the Wilson. So it was the end of day one on the record that I was destined to fail. Um, and she was the person that in Denver, she would organize the 14 or happy hours. And so she had just happened to hear about it and she met me there. And she just saw that I had all the kids. And so she was like, bad dad, you know, is like, you know, you're a badass and you're a dad. Now I think my kids just use it because they think I'm a bad dad. But yeah, so I don't know. I like, I like, well, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so anyway, yeah, I think that's where that came from. And it kind of stuck just that year on the 14 or forum. That's cool. That's awesome. What, what, what are your records right now? The current record holder, you are the current record holder in the 14 er Let's see. Well, let's see. Um, I think, let's see. I mean, at one point I held all the records in Nolan's, which was cool. That was cool. Like after I did Holy, Holy Nolan's, I, I had the fastest South to North time unsupported. I had the fastest North to South time. I was the only person to do Holy Nolan's. So that was cool. That, that was short lived though. <laughs> but um, so I guess for me, the big records that I hold, that I still, still hold, well, I, gosh, now there's probably three of them, but like, so definitely the, uh, the biking one back in 2003, that was a big deal because I was a great biker at the time. And you know, what was amazing about that record was when you combine the sports of biking and cycling, the, the changing back and forth helps your body heal and recover. Mm-hmm. 
and you end up, uh, I ended up stronger than I've ever been at the end of that one. Whereas when I finished the regular 14 year record, it's like a death march, you know? And when I lay down after finishing say longs, I am not getting up for a while, you know? So, so that's why I'm really scared of the centennial record. You know, you should see me, you know, in 2014, I ended up in the hospital, you know? So this is twice as long, you know? So I, you know, I'm, I'm a little scared because I, I am 46. I'm definitely getting a little old. So we'll see how it goes, you know? But, um, so the biking one, so it was what I called the self-powered 14ers, meaning, you know, so it's, it was supported, but self-powered. I could never get in the car and be driven anymore. So I had to like ride a bike or, or hike, you know, on my, the whole way. So then there's the, uh, the standard 14er record, which I held twice, but you know, once it was just held it for a short amount of time back in 1999. And then, but, but then I said it in 2015. Um, and that's probably to me is probably the, um, like the most important record just because it's got such a long history yeah it's the only one that people other people are trying to break you know uh, you know so so that one and and i'm actually surprised i i know it's breakable um you know three people have tried since i did it you know and uh, and not made it but it's uh you know i'm 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 happy because when i said it this guy brett who's much faster than me he he was going uh, the next week and I was like, oh, come on, man. Just let me hold it. For, like, I mean, I, I held it for like three, you know, a year here. Just let me hold it for like one year. And then I'll be a good like Teddy and I'll be happy to hand it off. You know? <laughs> and uh, but uh, but then so I can't believe it's been six years and I've still got that record. That blows my mind because just with the FKT craze, you yeah. know, and like there are some amazing athletes out there doing amazing things. I'm really surprised that that's still standing. So. You know, anyway, I'll take it, um, you know, as long as I can, but, uh, you know, hopefully I'll hear about it and uh, I can go out there and pass the trophy on to the next person. I hope I like them. You know, that's it. That worries me. What if I don't like <laughs> yeah. the What yeah. if they leave toilet paper on the trail? <laughs> I know, seriously. That's automatic <laughs> DQ. Right. Yeah. You add that to the rule I'll book. Put, that'll be a rule. Yeah. If you leave any toilet paper behind <laughs> you. <laughs> Disqualified immediately. That's but uh, so there's, so there's that one. Then there's the, um, so. The, the winter one, the goal was really to be the first person to, to do all the, the peaks in one winter season, right? So people had done them over multiple winters before, but so I'm the first person oh, to climb them in, in one winter season. Is that That's a calendar winter? 2018? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one calendar winter. So I started, you know, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe. I mean, we could talk about that too. Did you know that there's like this big controversy about what winter is too? It's like, you know, to be safe, you really like there's like oh, I forget the name of it, but there's like the North Americans usually go by, you know, December 21st to March 31st. But like there was a big deal when those guys were trying to claim climb K2 in winter before this year when they actually made it, when they were arguing about what day they would finish to have it actually count in winter. You know, to, to be safe, you got to, you know, finish in February. Anyway, that's a whole mess, too. But basically it was just one standard North American winter, <laughs> you know, and so and, and that was. I mean, that was an amazing um, to me because I only had half the winter to work with because I had my kids every other week. And so what I would do is I'd have the kids by week and then I'd go out for the other week. And in the end, I only had 26 days to actually work with to climb them all. And so That's that was kind of ridiculous because other people like the, had, like the guy that had tried the previous year had had every day to work with, you know, and and so that was hard to. Um, you know, but he, you know, I mean, everyone has your own difficulties and stuff like that. So I'm not trying to downplay. He had an amazing season too, but, um, but that was for me, what helped me there was just my experience in linking them all together in, in efficient ways, you know, you know, that really helped. And then having the low snow, it, it, it opened up access points so that it was easier to get into places that it was normally harder to, but, um, but so that one still stands. Uh, so those three still stand. Um, and then, and then other than that, I guess it's just all the Nolan stuff I've done, you know? And so I think the only thing that's still standing for me on Nolan's is probably holy Nolan's. I mean, one thing that's kind of fun about being the first to do something is that when someone breaks it, you can always still be like, well, I was the first person to do that thing, you know? So, so <laughs> I can always still be like, well, holy I was, the, what's that? You're the first to do holy Nolan's. Yeah. I'm still the, well, was that under 60 hours? The only person. Um, well, let's see. The first time I did Nolan's actually was that was pretty, pretty cool. I see that was in 2017. So I started with Holy Cross. All right. And it took me like 12 hours to get from Holy Cross to the fish hatchery. And then I slept for four hours. And then I started a standard north to south. Right. And then I actually I broke the north to south time. 
I didn't realize I was so close, but I only missed my south to north time by three minutes. So it was that close. Um, but but it was also adding on Holy Cross, but I was supported, whereas the other way I hadn't been supported. So it was kind of interesting. Right. So no one else has done Holy Nolans except for me and Andrea. We did it last year as well, going the other direction. So and that's kind of surprising, too. But the thing about Holy Nolans, it's amazing. And that was what, under, under three days. 72, uh, oh, 72 hours. Yeah. Yeah. That was my goal when I did it by myself. I did it in just under 72 hours. That was what I was going for. Right. You know, I always try to pick those, those, you know, those big things. So three days. So try to beat three days with Andrew and I, it took us quite a bit longer. And it's really because what happened was when we, we done, when we finished Nolan's this last year, it was my fastest time actually, actually ever doing Nolan's, but then you just finished Nolan's. And you're completely wiped out. So then we like slept for the rest of the day. And then we got going on the trail. Then we fell asleep on the trail for like four hours. So that it took us like over 24 hours to get up to, to Holy Nolans. But it's actually mentally really hard to finish a Nolans and then make that decision to go on to Holy Cross. Because it's no picnic. It's like 32 miles. And part of it is extremely rugged. Just a small section. But a lot of it's on trails and stuff like that. It's fine. So but are you part hiking of it on is really Pass? rugged. What's that? Are you hiking on the road for a while? Or is it, what, the, what, what trail between Massive and the Holy Cross? Yeah, so right out of the fish hatchery, there's another trail you can take that'll get you up to the Colorado Trail. Okay. And then you take the Colorado Trail until you get to the uh, one side of Turquoise Lake. So, you know, Turquoise Lake up there in the Leadville area. So there's a trailhead on the west side of it. And so the Colorado trail sort of gets you to that trailhead. And then from there you go cross country and you go over cliffs and I don't know. You know, it's funny when I was listening, no, I never talked to you guys about what I listen to a lot of times. I like to listen to audio books when I'm doing like Nolan's. And what's really cool is that I think our brain has this really amazing cross-referencing thing that it does because I will remember those books like, and exactly where I was at important times in those books. And I was listening to Aragon, which is a story about dragon eggs and dragons in that area. So I just think of that as like dragon country, you know, and it's like cliffs and That's cool. willows and trees. And, and, and uh, anyway, then you, you drop down to this thing called uh, to this little valley that has a lake called Lonesome Lake. And, and when Andrew and I did it in the morning light, we found this beautiful flat rock by the stream. And we laid down there. It was like perfection. It was just, I couldn't imagine a more perfect spot. You know, the bugs weren't out. And you just lay in there on this granite slab by the stream. And the flowers were all fresh. And wow. the morning sunlight. Oh, it was amazing. Oh, my but goodness. Then, that sounds amazing. Then you hike out to home. There's a reservoir called Homestead Reservoir. And then from there, you get on a dirt road for a while. And then you end up hiking up the backside. Like, there's this Holy Cross City. It's kind of this, like, four-wheel drive route people like to do that's holy cool. cross city and anyway the back area of holy cross it's pretty amazing back there yeah so it's a really neat route but i would recommend if someone was going to do it do holy cross first because it's how are you going to after finishing nolan's believe me it may sound like a good idea for about 20 minutes and then you're going to be sitting there and your eyes are going to start to close 32 miles to yeah and uh, and yeah and it's just not going to seem like such a good idea even joey told me after it was he he was originally going to go on to do holy nolan's and that'd be kind of embarrassing when someone goes for me and someone goes and does holy nolan's in under 60 hours joey easily could have done it he had 19 hours and you know it only took me 12 to get between the two when i did it so someone's going to do holy nolan's in 60 hours you know that's coming right and, and but, you're uh, still but like it's just mentally so hard you're like, still uh, the only person to have done that well, yeah, me and my girlfriend did it with me last year. Okay. So, so now we've done it both directions. Andrew, I have to say that your accomplishments sound a little bit like a start of a Dr. Seuss book with Nolan's, Snollin's, Holy oh, Nolan's. No. It's like, oh, yeah. it's, it's a great oh, yeah. list. That's funny. It, it is kind of sad, though. I do feel like I have been a little like, I mean, definitely the 14ers is just all I really do. I mean, I did adventure racing. I had a little bit of success. But like the big adventure races, I totally screwed up and, you know, and uh, and so that was kind of sad. And uh, but so the 14 years have kind of been my thing. I should probably try to branch out, but maybe just climbing them a thousand times is cool. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so when is when is your centennial uh, centennial challenge or your uh, attempt? 
you have a oh, date yeah. for that? Well, yeah, I do. Because of Calabra, I've got a solid set in stone date. Oh, yeah, Carlos. <laughs> so, uh, oh, wait, what was the question you asked me? I got distracted thinking of Carlos, you know, and, and uh, yeah, <laughs> not, the, oh, oh it's it? the start date. <laughs> it was the start date. Yeah, so I'm going to start on June 21st. And so as everything that we've talked about tonight, a lot of thought went into the start date too, right? So in the past, in, in the, uh, the year I did the Viking record, June 21st was spectacular because it was like, so the driest, so I, I took wildland firefighting training once and I learned that the driest time of the year is between the 10 days before and after like July 4th in Colorado, right? And so, you know, you want dry, you know, when you're hiking the mountains, even though we obviously want moisture because we don't want a bunch of like everything to be on fire, right? But so June 21st has been amazing some years, like a low snow year, kind of like this year can be amazing. Other years, like in 2014 and 15, we had all these late snows and I was completely freaking out and had to push back to like July 1st. I don't have that option now because of Calabra. So it's going to be June 21st. Um, but so far, things are looking good with the snow melt and stuff like that. In fact, I wish there was more water, obviously, because I'm, you know, one year I was actually all set to go on this whole thing. And it was like a week to go. And then the San Juans got caught fire and they closed the San Juans down. Uh. Like they've never closed down the San Juans before in history, you know. And, and so that that was right when I was going to be out there. So, you know, I hate these like the fires and stuff. You know, that was like last year. The whole end of the season was just terrible because of the smoke in the air and stuff, you know. But um, so anyway, so I'm hoping June 21st, the advantages are. And the same thing goes for Nolans. You know, a lot of these ultra runner guys, they get in shape over summer. And so then comes Labor Day. That's when a lot of people start making their attempts on Nolans. But if you think about it, you got way less light in, in September. I mean, it's those nights are a lot easier if they're light, you know, and you have like, I think it's an extra at least two hours. Um, we know thunderstorms. Maybe even four True. hours. I forget. I forget. Yeah. And, and, and like you just mentioned, you can miss the thunderstorms. You might have these beautiful cloudless skies, just like you can sometimes hope for in September, you know, you know, no monsoons. So if it was a good year, I think June is the time to go for no one's personally, you know, if you would, if you could get in shape that early, you know. Um, but yeah, so I'm hoping, you know, you've got maximum light, hopefully no thunderstorms, you know, and then but what can get you is sometimes you can still get these like late winter storms and you can get blizzarded on in June. So so, you know, it's it's just a crapshoot. You know, I, I picked a date and I got to stick with it now. That's going to be fun. to line. you have your GPS tracker and we can follow you every mile. Oh, yeah. Yep. I'm all about the tracker. In fact, cool. I wanted to make that an official rule was like you have to have a tracker. So I'm kind of annoyed that some of these new Nolan's attempts are like so social media or like, the, well, I'll upload my Strava track. I'm like, just put a tracker on. It's like then everyone can watch. And it's like it's like a spectator sport. You know, people yeah. that love Nolan's, you love getting on there and clicking. Oh, yeah. Sitting, and sitting at work in a business office and watching you. Right. Yeah. Princeton and then live vicariously. <laughs> Thanks for taking so much time and talking to yeah, us. Thank so you fun. very much. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, I should have warned you that I, I, well, maybe I did early, but I can talk forever. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're here yeah. for. We're just honored. We're honored <laughs> to sit down with you. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, oh, that's awesome. I hope we can talk again sometime. Yeah, great. Hey, we'll invite you on again. We'll do a Snowlin a or we'll, we'll do a be, Dr. Seuss we podcast. We love that. We'll be out playing around on the 14ers a lot this summer. So we may cross paths on your uh, centennial attempt. Where we join them in June and yeah pre pre centennial podcast maybe or yeah awesome thanks so much oh, that'd be yeah. cool that'd be fun yeah okay yeah cool thanks, yeah thanks a lot really nice to meet you guys likewise so nice thank you so much have Talk an to awesome you soon. night yeah. and good okay. luck oh thanks a lot yeah okay bye-bye yeah. <laughs> bye